Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 123. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is a little bit different. You have heard a few interviews lately with some clinicians who are incredible rock stars with over 30 years of practice and research and experience in the field, like Pat Ogden of Sensory Motor Psychotherapy and Dick Schwartz from internal family systems. But this week's episode is something that I hope and I believe that many of you will be interested in hearing. I am interviewing Julia Alexander, who is a recent grad from Social Work School, who talks about her work using trauma-focused equine-assisted psychotherapy. So you've heard previous interviews about equine-assisted psychotherapy and the beautiful Charlotte Heiler Easley and her work with EAST, equine-assisted survivors of trauma therapy. Julia is going to talk to us today about her experience as a relatively new social worker, learning natural lifemanship and how she uses it in her practice. So of course, as a new grad, she has all the latest up-to-date information. And after attending natural lifemanship training, she learned a lot about trauma and neuroscience. So she's going to talk a bit about that in relation to trauma-focused EAP using natural lifemanship and kind of just more about what it's like for her, where she works how this model supports her as a person, as a helping professional, and helps her support clients. So I thought this was a really interesting discussion. And, you know, although Julia is newer to the field, she has a lot to contribute, as we all do. I know so many of you who listen are therapists who might just be starting out or you might be just learning about trauma, you know, through listening. I know that many of you may be people who are not helping professionals, but you may be interested in the different ways that one can participate in therapy. And natural lifemanship is one way that you may not be familiar with. And Who knows, maybe it'll really resonate with you and you'll decide it's something that you want to take on as where you get your therapy. Maybe you'll decide you want to become a practitioner of equine-assisted psychotherapy using trauma-informed approaches, and this episode will inspire you. So I was inspired, and Julia is a lovely person. I hope you will enjoy our conversation. And as always, I'd love to hear your feedback please visit my website, therapychatpodcast.com and let me know what you think. You can leave me a message using SpeakPipe 
and I may play your message on therapy chat if you give me permission to do so. And if I feel like it's something that would benefit our audience. So let's go ahead and get started. Here's my interview with Julia Alexander. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is going to be, I think, fascinating. Of course, I always say that, so you can decide for yourself, but I think you're going to enjoy my interview with Julia Alexander. Julia, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat. Thank you, Laura. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're here too. And I'd like to start off with just you letting the audience know a little bit about you, who you are, and and your work. Sure. Okay. So I recently graduated with my uh, MSW from Smith College. I now work out at Spirit Reigns in Liberty Hill, Texas, and I do um, trauma-focused equine-assisted psychotherapy. And I got involved in that work. (laughs) It was a long time coming. But when I was at Smith, I, I went through my first semester of classes. And yeah, it was a lot of focus on talk therapy. And uh, I wanted to understand trauma better. And I found a mentor who worked with horses. um, And I grew up working with horses. And I think I think everyone that has had childhood experiences with horses, they know that there's something really healing and powerful about that connection that is sometimes hard to put into words, but it's a felt sense. And I thought if I could figure out how to do that, I would be really happy in the work that I was doing. And it would help me understand my own experiences better as well. So anyways, long story short, my mentor um, sent me training for natural lifemanship. And I felt like I learned more in three days about the brain and about trauma and about myself and about connection than I had learned about any of those things within my schooling. (laughs) So that's what led me to the path that I'm on now. Awesome. Yeah. So I know that a lot of people who work with horses know that they feel something. And like you said, it's a felt sense. But I think from my experience, a lot of people who work with horses don't know what they're feeling with it and why. So they can't explain it. You know, they don't have like the the teaching about, you know, self-regulation and trauma that comes with natural lifemanship. So it's like sort of a missing piece in that. I think in that experience for many people who do work with horses, they're like, I just know that. I have to do this or people will say it's my therapy, but, you know, without like the frame of reference to say what it's doing for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People who ride, people who work with horses directly as like, you know, trainers and stable working in stables and owning stables and things like that. So it's like, you can take that knowledge from your own experience of what it felt like. And then when you learn Um, what's really happening in your brain when you're working with horses, it's like, oh. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what it's like. I mean, I think when, I mean, there's two pieces, I feel like, to some of this trauma-informed equine-assisted psychotherapy that were really big paradigm shifts for me. Um, And the first is exactly what you're saying, is that, yes, you know, there's this felt sense of being near horses, being around them, building relationships with them and then being on them. And 
And all of those things, once we start to understand trauma and how it impacts the brain and how regulation happens and, you know, what we need to support our own regulation, our client's regulation, it's like, wow, this really just makes sense. Um, And then if we move to have clients on the horse, you know, I think it's very hard to like repeat that or um, copy that uh, natural movement of the horse. And so you have these things happening that, yeah, as a horse person, you go and you're just like, wow, this is what, this is exactly what I've been feeling. But there's another piece to that, um, that that's, a, that's a big paradigm shift, I think, which is, I think that we're taught, many of us who've had horse experience, we're taught that we are in control of the horse and that, you know, we, we can't show our fear. And there's all these stories, I think, that at least I was told growing up. I've um, heard those things. Yeah, you know, you have to act confident. You have to make mm-hmm. the horse think you're not afraid, yes. and um, yes, the horse needs you to be in control. Yes, exactly. And what I love about natural lifemanship is that um, it really flips that that mentality on its on its head, and you know, it 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 talks about um, you know as a principle based model that we we're not going to engage with horses in a way that we wouldn't want to engage with clients. So it's not about control. It's not about dominance. Um, it's about connection and it's about building a relationship where both parties can think and act for themselves, where both parties keep themselves safe and, you know, make requests that don't damage relationships. And as we know with trauma, right, that, you know, when we're dysregulated or when we're triggered, you know, we, we can, we can make decisions or I guess it's not even decisions. We can react in ways that damage relationships. And so I think the healing, you know, that comes in is rewiring the brain to develop different relationship patterns and the horse, the horse, they're just so incredible at at, at helping us to do that. So yeah, a lot of a lot of really amazing um, connections made once we understand the brain and once we look at horses as as partners in this process and not as tools. Beautiful. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years, and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is, if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. I want to ask you about one thing you said, but first I want to comment that what strikes me as being really different in natural lifemanship from what you know, I am not an experienced horsewoman and people who listen to this podcast know that I've had more exposure to being around and 
working with horses and riding over the past couple of years. And I hadn't had before since I was, uh, you know, kind of an adolescent, but I think what I have learned in my more recent time around horses, there have been a lot of messages about the horse wants you to be the leader and, you know, you have to show the horse, you know, kind of like that you're in charge and everything. And that's sure. what makes the horse feel safe. And I've seen some things from natural lifemanship that say it's not about making the horse do what you want to do. It's about making a connection with the horse so that the horse wants to do mm-hmm. what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really powerful, it's a powerful message to have in relationships. I mean, I think people that have experienced trauma, um, you know, a, a lot of us have experiences where relationships are based on, um, you know, dominance or control or mm-hmm. fear or intimidation powerlessness. Yeah, powerlessness. Exactly. You know, not feeling like you have a voice. And and those feelings are our are, are body, body feeling our body feels that and stores that. And I think that with natural lifemanship, we open up, we open up our, our minds to the possibility of experiencing a different type of relationship that, that doesn't, where the foundation is not those things. Um, and that can feel really scary, I think, especially when you work with such a big animal, um, mm-hmm. you know, and extremely vulnerable. Yeah, it's very vulnerable. But that's kind of where that's where the work is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you you put yourself in this in this position to to not dominate, right? And to to build enough trust where you you do make a request out of a relationship and the other party whether it's a horse or a person says absolutely i want you know i want what's best for this relationship i want to connect with you and if connection means that you know you 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 need me to follow you then i'm happy to do that because it doesn't it doesn't hurt our relationship it it strengthens it and obviously I don't think the horse is having that exact conversation in its head, but that's the foundation. of. Well, the horse is kind of having that conversation in its body, just like a lot of what's going on for us. We think it's our thoughts that are, you know, running it, but it's really more responses to what we feel that are happening in our body that make us do what we do, even if we then analyze it with our smart thinking brains. You know, right. and, and think yeah. that that's the explanation. And a lot of this work, you know, as we've talked about before, is it's 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 body based. It's felt sense. I mean, and and some clients, you know, are not in a position to be able to be really insight oriented. They just need support feeling. And that's and that's it. And learning what feels safe and what doesn't feel safe and creating boundaries and all of those things that healthy relationships need. Yeah. And when you're talking about body oriented work, the sense of feeling safe or unsafe is more in one's body than it is in our conscious, you know, cognitive awareness. And so when sometimes you might ask someone or you might ask yourself, am I safe? Yeah, of Mm -hmm. course I'm safe. I'm here. I'm in my house. Nobody's here. The door's locked. But that doesn't mean you actually feel safe. So it's like your thinking can fool you into thinking, oh, yeah, I'm safe. But your body's saying, not safe. I need to run. I need to hide. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like, what is your body telling you and what's happening for you that that's what you're feeling 
even though you think it doesn't match what you should be feeling. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I think, I think that's part of where the power of working with horses, at least for me, seeing it daily so profound because we, I think, have taught ourselves in a variety of ways to override what we, what our body is telling us, right? Like we use the neocortex and the cognitive thinking parts of our brain to say, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Or, you know, we, we put on a brave face or we, we tell people we're okay when we're not and push through. Yeah. We push through and we, we try to survive. And, and when you're, when you're in the pasture with the horse or when you're in a round pen with the horse, the horse, the horse doesn't understand non-congruency. I mean, they don't, they don't get that. They don't, they don't live in that world. They live in the present. And so they, they will, they will react to non-congruency in a way that doesn't necessarily build healthy relationships. And so it is very powerful, I think, for people who engage with horses who are used to being able to, to say, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Or to, you know, to say, I'm not scared, but you know, you can see it in their body. Everything is tense or their shoulders are tense or their jaws are clenched. And, you know, the horse will, in a variety of different ways, you know, they'll let them know, right, within the context of the relationship that they're trying to build. And that that is so powerful. And I think that that is, you know, some of the work that's being done with um, somatic experiencing and sensory motor psychotherapy, you know, really helping clients key in, right, to like, what is happening in your body right now? Because um, mm-hmm. a horse helps you stay in your felt sense, which can be really uncomfortable too, right? Right, because for many people, being in their bodies hasn't been safe, whether exactly. because of overwhelming anxiety that they feel because of a trauma history, or even mm-hmm. if their bodies were, you know, abused when they were children, mm-hmm. then feeling what your body sensations are, which is that your body's reliving that trauma often, it doesn't feel safe to be in the here and now. It feels safer to be disconnected but it's really an illusion that it's safer because you know you then you're really unable to protect yourself because you you really don't actually know what you're feeling or what's happening around you your felt sense it's there to give you information is like inaccessible to you yeah and you know i think that you know the horse the horse and a therapist at the same time are so important with that because, you know, the horse is going to ask you to be present and it's a therapist's responsibility, I think, to be able to track where clients are in their bodies and, and, and when it's too much, right? We obviously don't want to re-traumatize anyone or, or cause them to go over threshold. Um, and that's where we really, like, I think with natural lifemanship, um, use a lot of bottom-up regulation techniques and being able to help clients in the way that they, any way that they can kind of stay grounded um, and to know when they're not grounded. And, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll put, we'll put clients on horses to help them regulate, you know, but there are so many nuances and, you know, just, it's, it's very intricate and um, it takes, it takes a lot of knowledge and that's something I'm still learning. So um, we say something, (laughs) we say something that I think is, is really important that we don't, we don't want the horse to just become a, a very expensive rocking chair. 
you know, to help clients regulate it really comes back to the connection and to the relationship. But um, yeah, understanding when clients are over threshold is important with, with this work because it is so embodied. Yeah. And with any, any trauma work, of course. And, you know, and that's what I think you said the therapist has a responsibility to be tracking how mm-hmm. clients doing and, and I'll add in all trauma work, the therapist has a responsibility to be tracking how they're doing too. Yes. You know, that's a, a part of the, the process and, you know, mm-hmm. um, how regulated you are is mirrored yeah. with your client and how regulated they are is mirrored with you and how regulated the horse is. It's all these mirror neurons, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so happy you brought that up. I feel like that is so important. And I, I was sharing this with you before, but you know, when I first started this work with the horses, I was, I felt so exposed and, mm-hmm. and vulnerable and, and, just very raw because the work does require you to be, be embodied and be embodied, you know, all the time. Right. And I think that's, you know, and it's a gift, it's a gift to be able to be that in, in tune. I mean, the horses really ask that of you, you know, and we work in teams, which I think is really beneficial because if there are days when, you know, somebody, is more dysregulated, you know, a therapist is more dysregulated or, you know, feeling something, you know, we can, we can communicate with each other. And, you know, that's, that's part of the process. Um, and it's, it's very real. I mean, it's very, very real. I think that there's a, there's a felt sense of being present in your body, in my body in ways that I had not experienced working in an office, um, with kids or adults. It's just, it feels very different. Yeah. I don't work, you know, in my practice, I don't work with horses, you know, mm-hmm. as not as often as I want to. And I'm not doing EAP yet, but so I am in an office. But, you know, for all of us who are doing trauma therapy, it's important to be embodied and yes. present in your body. Mm-hmm. But no matter what your setting is. And I think being outside, you have a lot of opportunities for grounding. And yes, um, but I really like what you said about how the working in a team means that when you're dysregulated, someone else is there to help you and you're mm-hmm. there to help them. And I mean, that too seems to parallel what you're doing with the horses. Yeah. And with clients, but I yeah. think that's, that's so trauma informed. It, it is. I, I agree with you. I think that it is very trauma informed. And I think, you know, we have a lot of conversations regularly about, you know, how is this work impacting us? And how are we doing our own work? How are we connecting with the horses when we're when we have free time? You know, um, it is, I think there are so many parallel processes that play out and being aware of them is, you know, is really important, like with all trauma work. But yes, the team, the teamwork is, um, it was a fir- it's the first time that I've done therapy in, um, in a team setting and there's a lot to learn, but it's, it, it feels incredibly supportive. So, and there's always one person who, um, you know, is, has horse experience and knows the horses. And there's one person that is designated as a lead, a lead clinician. And it feels, uh, yeah, it feels, it feels necessary for this, this work because there's so many moving parts. Yeah. And it means if, 
you need to take care of yourself, there's space for that, which, yes, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily the typical mental health practice paradigm. Right, right. I mean, and I have to tell you, I mean, I, I tell everybody this, but I am so passionate about this work and this model. I think that, you know, when I go into work and I have the space to be able to sit with a herd of 30 horses for even just 15 minutes, right? I mean, it it really does turn, I think, um, kind of mental health practice and agency practice on its head a little bit because we're asked to take care of ourselves. And that's pretty profound. Yeah. And because in general, you know, in our educational training programs for social work, counseling, psychology, um, marriage and family therapy, uh, I don't think it's really, there may be an emphasis on self-care, but I often feel like it can almost be shaming. It's like, you should be doing self-care. And it's like, when would I be doing that? Because, you know, in my agency, I have to see 12 clients in a day and the sessions are like five minutes apart. So I right. do have a chance to go to the bathroom occasionally. But mm-hmm. In my, in my, in my last field placement, I was working with kids and my, my experience was, you know, back to back sessions. And I, if I wanted to use the bathroom, then I could, but I would be late to sessions. And I loved my work there and I learned so much but I wanted to envision something different for my life um, and my work to sustain me. And I think that I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine doing this work without the without the without the horses for me personally, um, just where I am in my own career development and my own, um, you know, my own trauma processing like this. This felt right. And I was motivated to make it that happen, (laughs) which is an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. So awesome. So I do want to ask two more things. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I guess one is kind of more of a, not a question, but you and I met at a retreat held by the wonderful Rebecca Wong in New York. And um, it was an equine retreat. And I really hadn't been around horses much at all. And you were much more experienced with horses, but something you said really struck me when you mentioned that how important consent is, you know, which it is consent is like everything in any relationship. And when you said something about, you know, I'm just not clear about consent, you know, with this horse, like, you were kind of trying to ask within the framework of what we were doing, like how do we make sure that the horse is consenting to us touching them? And, you know, that resonated so much for me because I work with survivors of sexual violence. I've done that work for now almost 16 years. And it's, I felt the same way in the group. I had that same question. What is, where's the consent with this? How does that work in this this environment and this type of interaction with this horse. And it was something that I really, I guess, again, what really made me understand how natural lifemanship is really special. So I just wanted to see if you could say a little more about consent and the interaction with the horses and 
you know, why that's so important. I mean, I can, it's like almost like we know it's why it's important, but still. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm happy you brought that up. Um, I think that this is a, this is a conversation that is constantly in, in process. And yes, I think that, um, you know, I don't have training in the other forms of um, equine assisted therapy or, or learning. So I can't comment on um, those particular practices. But I think that natural lifemanship does a really good job at bringing bringing up this idea of consent and control into the conversation. I think that, you know, when we when we ask for connection or for uh, to be in relationship with anyone, um, you know, then there obviously needs to be consent. And when we use horses, I think that we have to acknowledge that we do have power, right? When we take a horse from the field and put them into a round pen, I mean, there's, there is power there. And, and just like when we talk about being uh, a clinician and, and the power that we have in um, a, a therapeutic um, relationship with clients, it's in the room, right? And we bring our identities into the room. We bring that into the space. So I think that, I think that we try really hard to be mindful of what that looks like. And sometimes we do work with horses that are, you know, in the field, but you know, where's the choice, right? And I think that natural lifemanship does a beautiful job at, at, at making aware kind of relationship patterns where um, choice hasn't been an option and, and definitely brings that into the forefront. And I think that we, in my work are continuing that conversation of how can we get even better at, looking at kind of some of the ethical, ethical nature of, of involving horses in relationships where, you know, who knows, maybe some horses don't want to have relationships with certain clients. Um, maybe it's not a good fit. Um, you know, maybe, maybe some horses are tired on a certain day and don't want to be in the rump. And so I don't have, a, I don't have a good concrete answer, except for that. It's a conversation that needs to continue to happen. I think with anyone that uses horses in therapy settings, what I will say is that when the work, I think when the work is done really responsibly, you see horses really willing and eager to develop deep relationships with clients. And you don't see it being something that sours them or makes them feel really, really drained at the end of the day. I think when the work is done responsibly, it's it's really beautiful to see. But yeah, that conversation of consent is one that I think we we will keep having. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that was a beautiful answer. And, you know, there's no simple answer there. It's, right. you know, it's an animal that, you know, I mean, if they really had their own choice, they wouldn't be living in barns and, you know, they wouldn't right. be on farms and stuff. They would be in the wild. But um, sure. So there's a limitation on how much consent they can have in our current culture, but um, but the the ethical aspect, just because it's complicated, doesn't mean you don't consider it, you know. Right, exactly. Just like any power uh, dynamic in relationships, if we if we ignore it, then then the power goes unchecked, and I think that's where things start to get they they can start to get dangerous, right? Absolutely. So think, yeah. So that was the other part I wanted to ask you about is um, when you say that natural lifemanship is principle based, can you explain what you mean by that? 
Sure. Um, so natural lifemanship talks a lot about applying principles um, that are are universal. So they use they use horse psychology and anything that they apply to the horse, they would like it to also be able to equally apply to clients. So the nice thing about that is that you can I've found personally in my own experience, I can bring in other forms of other forms of training that I have into this work. So um, I can use the horse psychology. Um, I can use that relational piece, the piece about connection. And then I can also use the trainings that I've done. And I think that the model fits so well with so many of the other, you know, brain-based, bottom-up, you know, trauma-informed regulation pieces that it just clicks. It clicks well. And I like that because a lot of a lot of course work, as I said before, I think tends to veer towards the side of of dominance and control, even when we don't, even when we, we don't want to really acknowledge that, um, I think the horse world, um, which I've been in my whole life. Yeah, it can, it can have that feel to it. So I think people just think that's how it is. And that's what you do. And they, they just don't sure. have the real thought of the horse as a true sentient being. And, you know, they right. just as don't, a, it's yeah. not that like, it's just not the mindset because it's not, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, it's not intended to do harm. It's just thought that that's how things are. Right. And I think we, we, we need to challenge that. Um, when we say, you know, horses aren't capable of, you know, being able to control themselves. And I think what natural lifemanship says is, would you, would you ever say that about a client or would there be the expectation that eventually we're going to support this client and being able to self-regulate. Um, and I think, um, this model believes that with, with time and with experience, and we talk a lot about repetitive, um, patterned experiences and, um, we can think for ourselves. We can, um, act in the best interest of our relationships. So that's, that's principle based. Um, and then, like I said before, bringing, being able to bring in all of pieces of I think who I am as a person and as a clinician and all my all my previous training um, fits really um, really well with with this model that's awesome I I thank you so much Julia for being on therapy chat today I think that people who are listening to this are going to really resonate what with what you talked about and how you know what it's like to be a new clinician you know, doing this really beautiful, powerful work. And, you know, just I think people will be able to see themselves in either as a potential client or as a therapist, you know, who may want to go in that direction that you just explained so in such a clear way how this is for you. And I'm really grateful. Well, I'm very grateful to be able to share. I love this work so much. So yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Julia Alexander about trauma focused equine assisted psychotherapy using natural lifemanship. I hope to have further discussions about natural lifemanship on the podcast. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about talking with Julia is just hearing her perspective 
as a new practitioner, I mean, she talked about how she really wasn't sure if social work was right for her when she was in grad school. And it was her connection with natural lifemanship that led her in the direction to be where she is now. And I think from what she said, and of course this can change because she's got a long career ahead of her, but this may be the way she works for the rest of her career. And I think that's beautiful. So thanks again for listening to Therapy Chat. Hope you enjoyed our conversation and that it was inspiring for you as it was for me. Remember, you can go to my website, therapychatpodcast.com, and I would love to hear from you what you think about this episode or any questions you have. I like hearing from people, and I think you might like hearing from other listeners, and if they're wondering about something, you might be wondering about it too. So feel free to leave a question, and I hope you enjoy the questions and answers that you've heard so far. We will be doing another question and answer episode soon. So until then, take care. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.